Welcome to the tenth edition of the Little Big and Partners Backstage Session. Always a bit of a tongue twister there, but uh, welcome, dear listener. Glad you're back with us. Uh, it's been a while since uh, we've recorded podcast number nine, but we are back in full force. And uh, I'm still here with, at the other side of the table, Hans de Meyer. <laughs> and I'm Tom, Tom Brackles, and we are here to help you get through this podcast wherever you're listening in the car at home doing fitness which is great and we'll cover that later um but hans it's been a while since the last podcast yes. what have we been up to well uh, let me first start with what i have been up to since i cannot read your mind nor your agenda in detail so i have been um, mainly um occupied with um the magnificent world of hypnosis and neuroscience, to Ooh. use a big, big word. And the, the two worlds collide nicely together because um, my my fascination for trances and hypnosis and hypnotherapy um, all also trigger me into understanding what exactly happens. You know, I studied a few um, techniques to induce states of hypnosis and trance. And I've seen things happen from a therapeutical point of view, of which I said, this this is amazing. I have no clue how or why or what happened, but something happened. And you hear testimonies afterwards from people saying that, wow, things changed. So upon that, pragmatic as I am, I start to read books, listen to podcasts, follow courses, uh, just to understand how the brain works and how it sometimes what causes people to just change stuff from one second to the other and in other occasions it takes them like years to accept or pass through one or the other desired change and so and as i study more and more i also discover that hypnosis is not just something you see in theaters, but it's truly something that can really pragmatically be explained without necessarily explain everything because certain things just happen. And the fact that you cannot explain them has nothing to do with the definition of hypnosis, but just with the lack of knowledge we have on our brains and how, how they operate. Yeah, I, I can imagine that when you say that you're studying hypnosis and, and the ins and outs, that people sometimes react with skepticism in, in science or not. So just the, your regular people you meet at a reception and you say, ooh, hypnosis, don't do that to me. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And the interesting thing is that about 99%, I guess, of our lives, we are in some form of hypnosis. People all know that when they drive their car from point A to point B and they arrive at point B and you ask them, so what happened? On your way, you, you, you don't have a clue. You're in a narrowed consciousness. And this is what hypnosis is. When you sleep, you're in a form of hypnosis. When you're in a flow at work and you're really focused on what you do, you're in a state of hypnosis. And the only difference with these natural states of hypnosis and what a hypnotist does is a hypnotist induces these natural states mm -hmm. by using the mechanisms that without a hypnotist, 
nature uses. So it's it's a very natural process. So I always think it's it's interesting when people say, ah, hypnosis, I don't believe in it. Oh, interesting. So it means that you're never in a state of hypnosis. And then they look and then you quote these examples and they say, oh, yeah, yeah, that's interesting. So and then the next step is is, well, not necessarily acceptance, but there's also a little bit, yeah, being scared of what is exactly going to happen. Um, I know for one that in a trance, whether it's a natural one or an, uh, an induced one, you will never do things that are really against what you would do. I mean, if you ask someone to imitate a chicken, I mean, I could do that even if I'm not in a state of trance, right? It's not a problem. But if I would ask someone to rob someone, then they probably would not do it. Not even in hypnosis, in a state of hypnosis, because it, it, co it doesn't coincide with the value system. So it's nothing really like, wow, but it's fun. It's magic. It's, uh, it, it strikes people as, whoa, whoa, this is cool. What's happening here? And then this guy makes himself invisible and so on. But we just use the, the very limited capacity. It's maybe weird to say, but the very limited capacities of our brains and the fact that our brains tend to look for patterns because they're lazy. I mean, they would use too much energy. They're not lazy. <laughs> um, and so this is what is exploited in states of certainly show and stage hypnotism. So, so cool. your brain is by definition very efficient in what it does yes. to save as much energy for the body yeah. as possible yeah. in order not to consume yeah. all the calories that you, you have. Yeah. Uh, although the brain is already absorbing quite a lot of energy, twenty percent of body. our yeah. body energy and our oxygen and yeah. our yeah, yeah yeah. So in order to to avoid that, it's extremely efficient and as sort of uh, hypnosis is a way of running that efficiency, to exploit even that efficiency that, to exploit that yeah. efficiency, whether it's induced by an external yeah. hypnotist yeah. or by a state we we put on to ourselves, like. Yeah. driving in a car for two sure. hours sure. and if you would do that very consciously that's yeah. a very long two hours so your body goes in yeah. to some kind of it's a, a nice state. challenge you can do when you're uh, on the road but be careful um, and you have been driving for quite a while just try and drive and do everything wrong you know so when you turn right you put on your left uh, indicator when you need to shift into second or well, shift into third and do it consciously right try to do everything wrong that you have been doing unconsciously right for many many years little disclaimer little yep. big and partners is not liable for any accidents <laughs> indeed yeah and then make sure that you do it accompanied by someone and while you're focusing on doing things wrong just start a conversation with someone besides you and you will find yourself doing everything right again. Because when you focus, you can do it deliberately wrong. But once you have to focus on someone else, your autonomic system takes over and says like, okay, this is something I have been doing. The pattern takes over and you just drive correctly. And it's no longer possible to make mistakes because you cannot focus. And in hypnosis, it's exactly what you do. So in, what you actually do in, in hypnosis is you start the conversation so that the body goes into that state where it drives automatically. For instance, yeah, yeah. yeah. And the thing is that we like to fill in a lot with our imagination, again, because it's easy. If you, another very tangible example, we can only see about one megapixel of information with our eyes, whereas an average camera on a smartphone captures 48 million pixels. And so we have one million pixels. 
Now, all the other information that we see in our lateral view or that is not right in our focus, we capture it, but our brain fills it in with a lot of information that is already somewhere stored. Because it's visually blurry yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, which is also why in, in certain conditions, like with magicians and, and, and slay of hand and, and stuff where you say, how did he do that? I was looking at it and this disappeared or it was there and then it wasn't. It's, well, the magician who is really exploiting the weaknesses and the mechanisms of our brain. So the more you know about how this works, and then, which is what we are good at at Little Big and Partners, the more we can explain this into a language that people understand is, oh yeah, cool, yeah, I, I recognize it. The better you can use it. And so it's a matter of observing, understanding, and using it. And without becoming a, a hypnotist or a magician, anyone with a little insight in, oh, this is exactly what's happening, will find that change is much easier to work with and live through than someone who is just falling back on patterns without even knowing what's happening. Yeah. What you mentioned change, and this is one of those times in the year where when we are recording this, it's it's almost Christmas. So it's one of those times of the year where we'll do our big New Year's resolutions, yep. <laughs> which in many cases is some sort of change, but one which we struggle with, let's put it yep. mildly. So what are your good intentions for next year? Well, my good intentions, uh, I kind of dropped them like long time ago and, and even more now that I'm more aware of, of why they sometimes work and why most often other times they don't. Um, I have adopted a, an attitude in which I, um, throughout the year, I put like little um, plans and projects and execute them in, in little steps without having this major goal, like I would like to lose 10 kilos at the end of 2020, for instance, which I would like to, but now I'm, I'm rather going to say like tomorrow morning, 200 grams less and then 300 grams less the day after and then 100 grams less the day after. So I will split things up, no longer big resolutions, but day-to-day -day tangible actions, which gives a satisfying feeling every time you see, oh, whoa, this is cool, this is working. And this also replies again to how the brain functions and what the brain likes to receive as gratification and what they don't really yeah. uh, motivate uh, motivates them. Yeah. I'm more of a conservative taking your <laughs> January 1st <laughs> resolution. Yeah. So mine is to, to do a bit more exercise. Uh, uh, okay, but how I does that feel? Yeah, well, <laughs> let's all go there, partner. Uh, <laughs> It's a, it's 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 a struggle. I'll I'll be uh, I'll be very open with it. For me, it's not personally a uh, a thing with losing weight or, but it's more of getting energy and and getting that in a different way than um, just to keep all the 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 balls in the air and uh, yeah. all the plates turning. So uh, it the, the reason for it was actually uh, I I saw a friend of mine a few weeks ago, which I hadn't seen in a long time. So we started talking. And he kind of said to me at a certain moment, so how, uh, how is it in the sporting world? Uh, and I said, well, uh, really quiet. And uh, how come? Come on, you, you, you need to exercise. I know, I know. And he's a very sportive guy. Um, so I'm aware that I need to do more exercise. But my standard go-to excuse, like with many people, is 
I just don't find the time to do it. And then he said in talking in one-liners, uh, he's, uh, he's famous for his one-line quotes. He said to me, if you don't make time to exercise, make time to get ill. Bam, that hammered right <laughs> into it. And always the, the nail on the head, actually. Uh, but it's, it's, uh, it's, it's a struggle to, to get that change going. So um, you know uh, rationally that you should do something. And we've talked about already where action is coming from in previous podcasts. I think the one a year ago was yeah. exactly on this topic mm -hmm. as well. Yeah. Where does action come from? Uh, so you know rationally that you need to do something but you're lacking the the emotional trigger to really kickstart the process. And then that's the what you say is an entirely recognizable because if you look at, at us human beings, so um, most of what we have in us is called our physiology. So it is all the hormones, the neurotransmitters, the acids, the bases, everything that runs through our body, the blood, and so on and so forth. The the way this happens with an increased heart rate, for instance, there will be another flow of things. Um, when certain neurotransmitters get activated, the emotions change. So emotions, not as feelings, but energy motions. And these give rise to feelings. So I can have like my amygdala or one of the very primitive parts in my brain that says like, oh, this, is need this needs to happen. My physiology changes. And then this gives me an emotion. And then I start to think, oh, shit, I'm stressed. So I feel all the symptoms of what we call stressed. So I will think that I'm stressed. So I will act that I'm stressed. And I will be stressed, which the other way around is exactly the same. So when you, when you do things, it creates feelings, it creates emotions, and it changes your physiology. And what I mentioned as an example, and what you just mentioned about your resolutions, you say, oh, it's still far, and I know rationally, blah, blah, blah. We all know, and, and you, you call it, and I love the thing, it's the instant gratification monkey, monkey inside yes, your head. A little animal yeah. sitting on your shoulder yeah, looking yeah. for gratification. Yeah. That says, like, hmm, short term, this is how we work. This is why in, in, in my resolutions, I try to, well, I don't try to, I just split them up in very short things that give that instant gratification, that gives that emotion, which then translates into probably a release of dopamine, the, the happiness hormone. Like, ah, I did it. Ah, cool. And that physiology gives me a good energy motion, gives me a good feeling, gives me good thoughts, and makes me do it again, because it's nice, it's fun. Whereas a long-term thing, like I should sport more, I should be in good condition, before you feel in good condition, it will take like a couple of months. <laughs> oh, yeah. There's Probably. a long time between the initial yeah. trigger yeah. and the actual result and getting that dopamine rush. Because at one point, you will get that. If, if you do everything Definitely. right and if you exercise enough, uh, then you will have that moment where you get up in the morning and you say, I feel energized. If I compare it to a year ago, I feel a lot better. I have more energy at work. I have more energy at home. I'm uh, not that tired anymore. And that's because the, you have that long-term effect of doing exercise. Yeah. But then you have that dopamine instant. rush <laughs> and that instant gratification monkey yeah. is very happy. But that 
In instant between. gratification monkey is not a long-term gratification yeah. monkey. It's instant because yeah. five minutes afterwards, he has forgotten that. Mm. So he's looking for the next dopamine rush. Yeah. And uh, where do you get that from? So the, 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 the trick is, and now I'm talking to myself, the trick is to chunk it up into little uh, chunks of actions where you link that to a... Uh, instant success so for instance uh, instead of saying i will be happy when i run five miles Mm. is i will be happy if i can run one mile and that would be already a challenge for the next two weeks so that you give yourself two weeks to run one one mile because we, we, we tend to set our goals way too far we say oh next year i want to run a marathon well, newsflash, a marathon is really long. If you're not used to running, that's a really long uh, distance. Does that mean that it's impossible? No, it's absolutely possible. With uh, a few months of training, normally every uh, physiological, correctly built person is able to run a marathon. Whether it's healthy or not, that's a different discussion. Uh, but we should be able to do that. However, uh, the, the if you start from zero and you need to get to the marathon, chances are you will never get there. With getting to the five miles first and then a few months later getting to 10 miles and then get to 15 miles and then the marathon. And so you chunk it up in, in little parts yeah. so that instant gratification monkey is happier a lot faster yeah. than it's, uh, it's waiting for that or finishing a marathon mm-hmm. or... Uh, feeling more energized when you get up in the morning. And for those of you who are planning to do some more sports or whatever, and you have never done it before, or you always give up, just start with, even if it's only a 500 meters tour you run, or, or a quarter of an hour you jump on your bicycle, and you just do that, you won't feel exhausted, you will feel happy that you did it. And then you do that for a month. You won't fall into the excuse like I did it once. Jeez, I was like broken because I took one hour of sports activity. So tomorrow I'm going to skip. And then once you skip, you skip always. Now just make it nice and comfortable for you and do it. And then after a week, 15 minutes will be a little bit boring. And you will say, well, I'm going to I'm gonna do 20 minutes. And then your instant gratification monkey will say, hey, cool, 20 minutes, stop. And then you will do 15 minutes on top. And then before you know, you're one hour outside, you're running 20 kilometers, which you would never have done if you would have started like, let's start with 20 kilometers and see how far we get. No, it's just just too far for your mind. It's too far. You use that chunking technique with a telesales team, right? Yes, indeed. As if... You, I don't know about you, dear listeners, but cold calling is not something that is very high on the wish list of a lot of people, like calling perfect strangers and then try to convince them of your value or your product or whatever. And so the gratification on the long term is that, of course, if you have a successful call and you can sign a deal or set up a meeting, your gratification monkey is like, yeah, I did it. Cool. Great. But in between, there's a lot of moments where there's very low level of dopamine and a very high level of cortisol, which is stress and oh, I'm not going to do this, I'm not going to do it. So just split it up in short chunks, as you call them, and just pick up the phone. Oh, Christ, yeah, cool. I can pick up the phone. My arm is still functioning. Cool, right. And I can bring my arm to my ear. Wow. And and there's a tonality in there. Hmm, so the phone is working. Wow. So, wow, second gratification. I have the number. 
I form the number. Whoa, cool, it's ringing. And so split it up in very short successes. And by the time you're talking, you will also automatically be very, very comfortable. And when it's a success, you will be like, wow. And if what we call is sometimes when the call ends in a no-go or just like we're not interested, consider this to be a success as well. Because the purpose of you calling out is not necessarily or in your story to have meetings, but it is to qualify the potential of the organization or the person on the other side. And if you can qualify someone as not relevant, <laughs> never going to do any business with them, that's a success because now you know it. And before the call, you didn't know it. And so this generates again like, wow, cool, I know it. And not the feeling like, huh, another one who says no, right? Like Edison said, it took me 9,990 attempts and learnings how to not make a bulb <laughs> before I finally got it. So all these failures were not failures. They were just processes. And they also, every time again, launched that instant gratification. Says, yes, now you know another way not to do it. Cool, good, good. Let's try another one. You That's prime yourself for failure sure. by just saying to yourself, oh, they won't pick up. You see, they haven't picked up. Yeah, or they won't have a meeting with us. You see, they, they'll have a meeting with us. So, uh, and that, that airs in your voice as well. Sure. And that creates a pattern. Mm -hmm. And then even if you start thinking about doing cold calling, your brain already fills in the pattern and says, no, 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 it's not going to work. Don't do it. It's not your thing. And then, of course, your mind will take over and confirm this and say like, yeah, you know, I, I've always known it. It's not me. And you won't do it which is the case in many, many, many changes, whether it's individual changes or whether it's organizational changes. Every time again, we see people with long, very ambitious plans. And then in between, you see them struggling, you see them building up resistance, uh, finding all sorts of excuses not to change. In one of the books I'm reading, uh, one of the neuroscientists who uh, tells the story, it's uh, in the series of great courses, and we will put the notes in the speaker notes, the references. And she makes the, the, the comparison. She says, like, our brain is like um, a, a city. Yeah, you take Seattle or you take San Francisco with on one side some water and on other sides other barriers that kind of limit the, the city in its expansion. So when you're, when you're young, you kind of have a vast non-constructed area. So as a child, everything that comes onto you, you look around, you see space and you build with your fantasy, you build something and that becomes then a pattern and that becomes a building. And by the time you grow older, your city is fully constructed. And you know that if I think about cold calling, I go into the building that says cold calling. That's not something for you. And in this building, there's a lot of people telling me, no, you shouldn't do it. And that building is there. Or if I have been a sales and people told me to use software A to do and, and process A, B and C to do my, my sales, then every time in my organization, when I think about sales, I know, oh, I go into that building and that building gets an emotional value. I've been working there like for 15 years or something. And so everything is there and it's fine. And then all of a sudden my boss says, guys, we're going to tear down this building and there's going to be a new one. Or we're going to maybe keep it, but you all evacuated it and we go to another one. What does that do with you? I mean, as a child, you would say, oh, change, cool. I still have a lot of open field. Let's build something. Let's learn new things. 
as an adult, you say like, Jesus, I have to abandon this. Hmm, I'm so used to it. Where are we going? Oh, I'm going to have to pass through all these other buildings. And then I don't see exactly where. And maybe we're going to tear this down and build something new. And you all, you find a shitload of excuses to feel like, ah, please, no, don't do it. Which which creates these, these nice dynamics in, in process of change that and a lot of metaphors that can be very useful. So you you would start to think that as a human, we don't like change. But on the other hand, sometimes we actively go hunt changes yeah, in life. If yeah. you look at uh, major life events, mm -hmm. uh, those are deliberate changes we, we hunt. Most of the time, yes. Like yes, yeah. uh, getting into a relationship or getting married, buying your first house, getting a kid, changing careers. Yeah. Those are all deliberate choices that have a huge change impact on us as individuals, but still we do it. We don't debate about it. Uh, it's like when um, uh, there's two types of, of, uh, of directions you can take. If it's a, a, a towards change, towards something new, towards a new relationship, towards a new home, that you, you have this internal driver and internal motivation to get that done while it's an away from uh, like uh, cutting a toxic relationship, whether it's uh, toxicity yeah. in terms of uh, with your life partner or with uh, your employer. Cutting that toxic relationship is very difficult. It's an away from you. You try to flee something, but there's so much emotional baggage Think about when you want to change careers, but you feel guilty that you will leave all your colleagues behind and you've built friendships at work and you're going to leave those behind or you had a good time. And it's to, to, to conclude the same metaphor, it's like you're in this building, but the roof is starting to leak and the door is squeaky yeah. and you think, well, maybe the door is squeaky, but... It's still a door. And I've so, always been here and I feel so comfortable in this position. And it's, yeah. Yeah, it's your pattern. Yeah. And when you air that, for instance, to your boss uh, saying, well, the door is squeak and the, the roof is leaking, uh, then often they will reply, okay, we'll fix that. Mm -hmm. For instance, we'll give you a raise uh, just to keep you in the house. But when it's really getting toxic, then yeah. you have yeah, to I think get it's out. a very interesting um, way of of looking at things you just uh, evoke like away from towards and and also consider every big change in your life from these two angles is it something that i really want or is it something that i want to get away from and the first thing that i see is this so i'm going to jump into it with relations as you say sometimes it happens sometimes people start a relation because they're fed up of being alone or they have had it with a previous relation but then the quality of the new relation might be doubtful. Whereas if you really go towards something new because you want it and because there's a lot of things that will happen with a high emotional value again, it's striking that even the way we talk about it, when we talk about going to something, it's exciting. It's like traveling. It's like, whoa, what are we going to discover there? How are we going to feel? What's the weather going to be like? What are we going to live? It's a rich, rich, rich emotion which in very, very many cases, like the sports we need to do, uh, losing weight, we will consider this rationally. In, in a lot of companies too, uh, I would even say that people in companies get paid as adults 
So they are expected to behave as adults, and adults are rational animals. I mean, pattern-seeking animals. And we like children, to believe that yeah. we are rational. Yeah, yeah. But, of course, yeah, we like to believe that, yeah. But in the end, it, below that is, is of course, like... A, and, and our unconscious mind has, like, 300 milliseconds... Uh, is 300 milliseconds ahead of our conscious mind. So everything that we think is already encoded in our brain with... 300 milliseconds before, which, by the way, it's an, an, an entre parenthèse. Um, if you have a déjà vu, it's it's like your unconscious has leaked undeliberately a few things to your conscious mind, which 300 milliseconds afterwards gets the whole picture and says like, "This is like I, I've I've seen this already." Yeah, yeah 300 milliseconds. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not Past, last yeah, year. Yeah, yeah. It's it's only milliseconds. Yeah. And this yeah. is like ah, oh, it's so amazing if you start to think of it, and it's. Indeed, I, I like the way you, you put it, like we think, we like to think that we're rational, but no, we're, we're driven by emotions, and our ratio fills it in, gives a meaning to it, fills in the gaps. If we don't know what we feel, then our ratio will find something, invent something, uh, of course, colored by confirmation bias, by the self-fulfilling prophecies, by our model of the world. Uh, if we always see something stressful, and experiences certain things stressful, then we will focus on it. It's, it's called a reticular activation system, and our attention goes where, 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 yeah, our focus is. And then, like when you we quoted the example of buying a new car, and then the day after you see everybody <laughs> driving the car you just bought, and of course nobody did all of a sudden overnight buy new cars. No, it's just your focus goes there, and it confirms like, ah, I did a good choice. You said, yeah, they're all driving this car. Mm, top. Yeah. Or you think you made the wrong choice. Oh, you because you think you have a unique car. Obviously, yeah, yeah. absolutely. And all of a sudden yeah. you see... But you give a meaning same. to it. Yeah. 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 I was talking this morning with someone who says, well, I have this 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 low image, self-image of myself, low self-esteem. And uh, and when people give comment, I feel immediately like attacked. And then I, I say that, but there is you. And then there's, let's say, you do something and two people say, wow, I like it. And two people say, I don't like what you do. I mean, does that say something about you? Or does it say something about the four people giving comments? Um, which is also an attitude that helps people in periods of change and in, in how they consider themselves. It's not all the people that overnight bought a new car. It's the perception that you have of these people, like these people have a perception of you doing something. But what you do is inherently correct because you decided to do it. You were driven by a good reason, bearing into account all the elements that you had on the moment you took a decision or you did something, it was the best thing for you to do. And the opinions of people around, it's their process. And in periods of change, it often happens that someone does something and someone else says, ah, you shouldn't do it this way, it's wrong, and you did not understand, and blah, 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 blah. That says something about the one who gives the feedback and not about you doing something. So it's it's all these interesting reflections that we as an adult, we can think about, <laughs> we like to think about. Or we like to rationalize. We like to rationalize, but in the end, it bears on our emotions. So it, it bears on our feelings that we, we have in, in any second of the day, any moment of the day. Yeah, we. You mentioned that there's a difference between uh, kids and adults. Yeah. Uh, uh, if you compare it to a a map of a city, that as a kid yeah. there's more vacant space. space. Yeah. 
uh, as an adult, it's fully built. Uh, are there other differences with kids in terms well, of biology, that things that they have differently? For what I learned in a, a few courses, kids um, appear to have, until the age of seven, like a lot of theta waves in their head, which are which is a, a frequency on which our brain operates, like we have alpha and beta waves when we sleep and in light sleep or deep sleep or REM sleep. And this is to be compared with the state of hypnosis, uh, scientists say, in which you assimilate things, suggestions much easier. And so apparently kids between zero and seven run in this programming mode so what they see, the models they see, the examples they see, the cultural aspects they see, they just pick it up and it's programmed and it's part of their territory, their map of the world that they're going to build the rest of their cities on. So if they have in their zero seven like examples of low buildings like Washington, then probably their whole city will be like pretty low in building. If they have seen high buildings, their buildings will probably evolve, uh, evolve in, in a high building thing. And once you are past the seven years, you I, I'd like to see it as before, until seven, it's like being on the beach, have the sand and a stick in your hand and write a pattern in the sand. You write it and it's immediately there. It doesn't require any effort. And it becomes a pattern and it decides on a lot of things later in life. As an adult, when you're faced with change, I like to use the metaphor of it's no longer a beach with a stick. It's a solid rock and you need a hammer and a lot of tools to kind of <laughs> dig your pattern in that rock. You need persistency, you need, you need courage, you need uh, repetition um, and you should never give up, which a lot of people do. If you really want this pattern to be part of your cortex, then your, your newer brain where, where the coding of information happens totally different than, than with kids, which is also why hypnosis fascinates me quite a lot because it, it brings us back into a modus of learning that is much more powerful than uh, without miracles i mean I'm, i still have my doubts but <laughs> if i would like put on a, a headset with a, a mathematical course <laughs> and then kind of get into hypnosis and let the thing play that the day after i would be a genius in mathematics I don't think that's, no, that's, <laughs> that's going to work. research yeah. done on languages where you <laughs> can put on a headphone yeah. Yeah. Uh, with so, a foreign language yeah. and yeah. then go to sleep yeah. where you have a different yeah. wavelength yeah. than when, so, when you're awake in order to think that you wake up and you speak that language. That is not functioning. But in, in short, because that, that requires also storage, it requires a lot of parts of our brain to, to start working. Uh, to, to get the, the, the information stored correctly, to make the necessary associations, both semantically, grammatically, whatever it is. Whereas in, in, if you work with simple suggestions, it is just something that most of the time someone already wants to do. And it's just one switch that is reprogrammed or let's say a number of, of neurons that, that fire differently. Whereas indeed learning stuff or it sometimes it requires a lot more to, uh, and, and you still need persistence because it involves all parts of your brain and not just one little part. Yeah. And that's the hard work, that persistence that's the hard work. and that, yeah. that continuity and re repetition. Yeah. Those are the things yeah. that make it hard. So if I can converge here, the whole thing we've discussed so far is that in order to uh, cope with change in a corporate context, for instance, mm -hmm. 
is to let loose of the inner child and just think of it as what a child would do. Yeah, absolutely. Be open, think as a child. Know that biologically speaking and neurologically speaking, you will process things in a different way because of your city is already built and the child still has a lot of uh, area to, to construct. Um, and then the second big takeaway for me would be if whatever change there is, whether you're experiencing it or whether you have to guide people through change, um, is is split it up in chunks. Make your your processes when you when you do it. Don't take stages of one week or two weeks or one month. No, just insert maybe by way of gamification or whatever. But make sure that people every second, every minute, every quarter of an hour, every hour have somewhere anchor points where they say like, huh, this is working fine. Don't put the barriers too high. Take baby steps. And then all the baby steps together will give you one big, big, big step forward and bring you much easier to the desired state than if you try to manage everything. And both you and I are allergic to the term change management. Oh, <laughs> don't get me going on that one. Oh, change management is probably the most ridiculous term I've ever yeah. heard next to people management. But the, the, the thing with change management is you, you cannot manage change. So let go of the idea that change can be managed, that change can be captured in processes and KPIs and and cultural shift as a process is is uh, is ridiculous. It's it's impossible. At best, what you can do is to lead people towards change or through facilitate change, facilitate an internal process of change. Coping. The change is external, uh, especially in corporate contexts where you don't often actively seek the change, but there's a reorg that the management decided, or there's a new strategy due to competition or the market change or whatever. It's an external trigger. You have that change and then you have to cope with that. You don't need to manage that change. You can't manage that external change. If the market is changing, live with it. But what is your thing internally that you can do? Where is the strategy going? And then don't translate it into a three-year period, um, but in short-term goals and make these goals emotional. That's what we've called shiny goals in the past. Uh, so how do you make that a, an ambitious goal that people want to go towards? Yeah, absolutely. And once you have that towards motivation, that is apparently something we can do. Yeah. And in order to put this into practice in your organizations or in your lives, there's several options. One would be to invite us to give a keynote yes. on this team. But of course, experience also uh, has te taught us <laughs> that keynotes in itself will create this wow, yes, but you would also need like further program support into uh, both team group guidance as well as individual personal development in order to make your change successful. It doesn't have to take ages, but don't underestimate uh, this component in your entire change trajectory uh, if you want it to be successful and impactful. Absolutely. But we still haven't covered the question on what makes a child mindset so interesting But we're, we're running yes, out of time or yes, going yes, over time yeah, anyway. Yeah, so yeah. I think that's material for, for the next, next podcast. podcast absolutely. So, so, But maybe in the meantime, if you have suggestions of 
What is something that you admire in a child or something you're jealous of? Uh, I, if only I would have that specific skill or that perception of how kids look at the world, that would be something really interesting. Yeah. So if you have any of these topics, send them through. You can uh, leave a comment on the, on the website or through Facebook or Twitter or whatever. You can contact us on LinkedIn as well. Um, or just send an email to info Absolutely. at partners. Yeah, we're looking forward to hearing from you. And as a key takeaway, ask yourself the question, what story am I telling myself that I would never allow anyone else to tell me? So what story am I telling to myself that I would never allow anyone else to tell me? Take care. And I look forward to having you on the next podcast. Thanks for listening. Bye.